0: Hey there, today we are gonna be talking about the real Jesus. Now you might say, as opposed to what? The fake Jesus? I think you're gonna see what I mean as we look now at Colossians chapter one, verses 15 through 20. So if you have a Bible, open it up with me. I'd love to walk us through this amazing portion of scripture. Now, we want to be reminded that Paul was writing to the church in Colossae. These are people that he had never met before. However, he received a report from a man named Epaphras about the condition of the church and the doctrinal issues that were beginning to rise up surrounding the person and the work of Jesus. So, Paul was writing to fortify these believers against the false teachings and the false claims that were coming in about a Jesus that was contrary to the one who was revealed in uh in the the time of the gospels and in his death and resurrection as you know this letter begins by paul just gushing forth with love for these saints and faithful brethren he prays for them but now he's going to really get down to the aim and the purpose of this letter which is to reveal the true nature of jesus You see, showing the true nature of Jesus is so important because Jesus is the one in whom we find salvation. And so this letter exalts Christ. It shows him to have supremacy. It gives us a correct representation of the person and the work of Jesus. Now, many consider that this little section here that we're going to look at today is like the hinge of the letter to the Colossians, that it is so chalked full of theological truth about Jesus that it became for the church, the early church and today the litmus test for Christology of the right view of Jesus. So any view of Jesus that does not line up with this description that we're going to look at today is false teaching and must be avoided. See, this scripture gives the highest view of the real Jesus, that he is our God, that he is our Savior, that he's our creator, our sustainer, our friend, and so much more. Jesus is amazing, and we're going to see through this scripture that he truly is. Now, I want to share a very sobering truth before we go any further, which is this, that a wrong view of Jesus can cost a person their soul. And so if a wrong view of Jesus can cost a person their soul, then God help me as I would proclaim today the real Jesus. In fact, let me just pray right now for God's anointing and help as I proclaim from his word who Jesus is to you. God, I ask, Lord, that you would reveal through your word and your word will explain better than I would ever be able to explain who you are and what you've done for us. And I pray that if anyone listening doesn't already know you, that they would know you after today. And God, I pray, God, for those who do know you, that we would hold you in the highest view, that you would be preeminent in our lives. We ask in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. So verse 15, where we begin, says this, that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So the context here tells us who the he is. We're talking about Jesus. He is the son of the father's love, the one in whom we find redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. We're told first that Jesus is the image of God. The word used here for image is the Greek word icon. Now I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm not a Greek expert, but my pastor told me something that will always stick with me. Even if I can't read or write in Greek, I certainly can still know how to read those who do. And so in my studies of those who know this language, know the Greek, I found that this word icon, which is found both in the Old Testament, the Septuagint Greek translation and the Greek New Testament carries with it this idea of likeness, representation and manifestation. So let's look at each one of those things first image insofar as it represents likeness. So Jesus is the exact likeness of God the way in which if you were to stand in front of a mirror you're gonna get what you're gonna get everything that you are you'll see in that mirror and so whatever uh, we see of Jesus we also see the exact representation of God and then the idea of representation that Jesus represents God to us in the same way that a icon or a, uh, an inscription or a logo represents something to us. For instance, if you were to go on your smartphone, you have a whole screen full of icons, and each one of those little buttons represents something to you. You see the Instagram app and you know the logo and it represents something to you. So it carries with it that idea and the last way is manifestation and this has to be my favorite one of the three ways that this word can mean is the idea of manifestation. This has the idea of revealing or making known so when Jesus came from heaven to earth As a man, his life and his testimony was recorded in the Gospels. So we have the four Gospels where we see the actions and the words of Jesus. So when we're reading those stories, what it's showing us is that if we see Jesus being compassionate, it's showing us that God the Father is compassionate. If we see that Jesus was angry at injustice, it shows us that God the Father gets angry at injustice. Jesus fully represented God to us. God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, which we'll get more into in a little bit. Because here's the thing. God the Father is not unknowable, but he is invisible. 1 Timothy one seventeen says that God is the King Eternal, Immortal, and Invisible. 1 Timothy 6.16 says He alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light whom no man has seen or can see. We're reminded in the Old Testament that if anyone were to see God, they would die. And this is all true of God, but what's also true of God is that He wants us to know him and he wanted us to have a a relationship with him therefore God went to the most extreme measure to manifest his love to us that he sent his only begotten son Jesus into this world taking on our likeness the likeness of men I mean that's a profound truth that the likeness of God took on the likeness of men and that's why the Apostle John wrote in John 1:18, no one has seen God at any time. However, the only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father has declared him. And then John 1:14 says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. And then Hebrews 1.3 says that Jesus is the brightness of his glory, the express icon, the express image of his person, and that he upholds all things by the word of his power. Jesus also prayed in John 17.6. He said, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of this world. So Jesus was demonstrating and living out the very nature of the Father when he walked among us on this earth. Jesus pictured and personified the Father in every way. So while we cannot see God the Father or even God the Holy Spirit visibly because of his invisibility and his infinite glory, Jesus lowered himself. He humbled himself. He took on human flesh. And so that we could actually visually see him and understand God. And that's why the beginning of 1 John is so powerful. When it says, uh, John says, I have seen with my eyes and I've handled with my hands the life that was manifested to us. That when Jesus was with his disciples, he actually showed them. His deity showed them that he is God and revealed to them who God is. That's why when Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it's sufficient for us. And Jesus said to them, have I been with you so long and yet you do not know me, Philip? And then he says this, he who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? That's in John 14, 8 and 9. So looking at Jesus is going to give you exactly who God is and how you can know him. Here's something to consider. Paul explained that Satan's whole program is to blind us from seeing Jesus because Satan knows that Jesus perfectly manifests God to us. He says in 2 Corinthians 4.4 that Satan blinds the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the icon of God. Now, most people don't have a problem with the fact that Jesus represents God to us, but they don't want to believe that Jesus is God himself. And he is. Again, the scriptures are plentiful and clear that Jesus is God. Jesus is the word, the logos. He he is in John 1. It says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And it wasn't just the apostles who identified Jesus as God, but Jesus himself claimed to be God. In John chapter 8, 56 through 59, Jesus has this encounter with the Jewish leaders, and he says to them, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. And then the Jew said to him, Are you not even 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And they took up stones to throw at him because Jesus claimed to be the eternal God. He took that title, the I am statement found in the Old Testament for Yahweh, and he claimed that upon himself. And that is ultimately why he was crucified, because he was accused of blasphemy for claiming to be God the Son. The fact that God would become a man was a stumbling block for the Jews. That totally tripped them up but that is how God chose to reveal himself. God chose to come in the likeness of men and die on a cross and be raised from the dead to show us who he truly is. So when a Jewish person, which God has a heart and a plan for Jewish people, but when they say, I believe in Yahweh, but I do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah, I don't believe that Jesus is God the Son, then they're actually rejecting all of God. That goes for any religion, any cult, any religious sect that says, anything contrary to the true nature of Jesus. If you haven't received Jesus as God then you haven't received God. If you say you know God but you don't have a personal relationship and knowledge of Jesus as God and as Savior then you don't really know God. You might have noticed here that I'm quoting a lot of scripture because here's the thing man's ideas about god have always throughout history proven to be wrong we need to know god's self-revelation we need to know who god has claimed to be and that's what we have in our bibles the scriptures take god's word which are inspired by him revealing to us who he is God will always do a better job at telling us who he is than we will ever do coming up with our own ideas about who he is. That's why in Hebrews 1, 1 through 2 says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets. God spent that whole time in in the Torah, in the Old Testament, revealing who he is. And he was revealing Jesus through all of that. But then it says, in these last days, he has also spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the worlds. Well, that brings me to my next point, which is this. A basic question that could certainly be asked is who made the world? Who made everything that we see? Everyone would hopefully accept that the creator of the universe would be God. We know that the Bible begins by saying in Genesis 1:1 that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And since God created the heavens and the earth, then we simply need to read the next verse here in Colossians for confirmation of the deity of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 16. It says for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. You take Genesis 1:1 and you take Colossians 1:16 and you put them side by side and it's proof that Jesus is God. If Jesus was not God then the Bible could not make that claim. Again, going back to the Gospel of John in John 1, 3, it says all things were made through him, through Jesus. And without Jesus, nothing was made that was made. We also see then in the second half of verse 15, Paul uses a word that many false teachers have loved to camp on. It says that he is the firstborn of creation. Many people will say, no, well, Jesus hasn't always existed. He was created. See, it says there, he was the firstborn over all creation. He was the first created being. But what people fail to realize is the biblical use of the word firstborn is not speaking about uh, being born chronologically, but being priority. Okay, so let me explain this. It's the Greek word prototokos, and here it's talking not about the first one out of the womb, for instance. Like, we know the the man Solomon, who was David's son. He was called the firstborn, but David had other sons before Solomon, but David and God had a priority over Solomon's life that he would become the king over Israel. We know that Jacob was called the firstborn because Esau, his older brother, sold his birthright. And so we see just this idea of Jesus being the firstborn. It's used again in Hebrews 1.6. It says, again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, and let all the angels of God worship him. Other false teachers claim that Jesus is not God. He's not even man, but that he was an angel. And if this were true, then this verse right here that I just read wouldn't make any sense at all. That would mean that Jesus would be worshiping himself. And so we've seen now that Jesus is not a created being. He is not an angel. Uh, Angels do not receive worship unless they're fallen. He is not merely a man or a good teacher or a prophet that taught us good things about God. But he is God himself, the creator of all things. Therefore, all things were created by him, which means Jesus wasn't created, but that he's always existed. This is important. This is important because if we're made in his image, he is our creator. He made you and he made me and everything else we see in order to to display who he is. Therefore, all things were made in order to point us to God. So a sunset should point you to the image of God. Uh, The stars in a dark night should point you to the image of God. A baby being born, uh, you starting your family, should be pointed to the image of God. The intricacies of the human eye should point us to the image of God. So that whether in heaven or on earth, everything would show that Jesus made it all. Visible or invisible, Jesus made it all. See, much of what we see with our eyes is temporal and material. But Jesus has also made a world that is spiritual and that is eternal. And he said that he has gone to prepare a place for us that when uh, that he will come and he will receive us to be where he is. So he made thrones and dominions and principalities and powers. All things were created through him and for him. Paul's saying land, skies, angels, humans, Jesus made it all and he has control over it all. He's got control over every human government and hierarchy. Jesus is in control of it. He's in control of every spiritual government and hierarchy. Jesus is Lord over the world of men and women and he is the Lord over the world of angelic hosts Jesus is Lord over all and this is going to plummet you into the depths of the theological questions like well then why did God make Satan and that's a great question which you should study God's word because all things point to the glory of his names even his enemies Jesus is our creator we were created by him he spoke this world into existence We were created through him, meaning that nothing came into being apart from him. We were created for him. All of creation is meant to point back to the glory of his name. So by, through, and for are all words that Paul is using to encapsulate everything. So from here, I want to share uh, a little bit more also about the Father and the Holy Spirit. We've talked a lot about Jesus Uh, Because Jesus reveals to us the Father and the Spirit, but God exists in three persons. The Father is a person, and He is God. The Son is a person, and He is God. And the Holy Spirit is a person, and He is God. So the Father is not the Son or the Spirit. The Son is not the Father or the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father or the Son. They are all own their own distinct persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons, and yet... One God. And this is the profound mystery of the Trinity. And you're not going to find that word Trinity in your Bible, but you will find woven throughout the fabric of scriptures the truth of God, who is one, who consists in three persons Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This God revealed to us in the scriptures is knowable and He loves you. So let's continue because when Jesus created everything, he didn't end there. The job wasn't over. In fact, it says in verse 17 that he is before all things and in him, all things consist. So he's before all things. I think we've already established that. And in him, all things consist. Another translation of that is that he holds everything together. Hebrews 1.3 says he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus is keeping every molecule in creation from falling apart. He's keeping protons and neutrons and electrons from flying out of control. See, if the speed of the earth spinning on its axis were to slow down or speed up even just one degree, we would all be toast. Physicists say that we are, uh, in a sense, we are at the brink of a nuclear explosion. And 2 Peter 3.11 says, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, because this earth is going to melt down in its elements, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? This is a good opportunity to ask yourself that question. If Jesus is holding this universe together right now, if he's keeping the molecules under the chair in which I'm sitting on, what sort of person I ought to be? what is my character? What is my conduct? What does my life look like right now? Because is my relationship with God one of peace or one of rebellion? See, we've seen the destruction that has taking place in the earth. We've seen natural disasters. We've seen a pandemic sweep across our globe. We've seen unrest in our nation. We've seen the chaos that can ensue in humanity. But listen, Jesus is still in control over it. We can't think that Jesus is somehow in heaven right now, pacing back and forth, biting his nails, looking down on his creation like, what did this, what mess did they get themselves into? Jesus knows everything that is happening. He is intimately involved with his creation. And he is patiently redeeming people day by day until his coming. The primary way in which Jesus is involved with his creation is through his church. We see that in the next verse, verse 18. He is the head of the body, the church Who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things, he may have the preeminence. So he's the head of the body, the church. If you're a Christian, Jesus is your head. We as the church, Jesus is the director. He's the chief shepherd. He's the one in control. You could function without a hand, you could function without a foot, but you cannot function without a head. And Jesus has reserved that place for himself. Jesus is the head of the body and we are the body in which God uses upon the earth until his coming. Now the church must humbly repent I believe in this time of the envy and the strife and the division that that exists in God's church That Jesus is the head of the body. And Jesus said that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail upon it. No other institution has that guarantee other than the church. Listen, Christians, we need to stop acting like the church is at the brink of extinction. It's not. That is unbiblical, and that is contrary to the promises that Jesus made to his church. The church is not going anywhere. Nations will rise and fall. Uh, The world might go through great suffering and turmoil, but Jesus said the church is not leaving the earth until his coming. He is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead that in every, everything he might be preeminent. Now, I love to be first place. I love being first in line. I like being the first one to get my food. I like being first. But if you're a Christian, you'd better get used to being last. Jesus is the one who is first. That word preeminent just speaks of him taking First place in all things, in rank, in superiority, Jesus holds that position. Again, false teachers would teach another form of Jesus, and they'll recognize Jesus as having a prominent position, but they fail to recognize that Paul's intent in writing this is to show he has a preeminent position. Jesus doesn't want to simply be prominent in your life. He wants to be preeminent. He wants to be first in life. He wants to be first in death. He is first in life. He is first in death. He's first in the resurrection. He's first in everything. So why does Jesus need to be first? Jesus needs to be first because Jesus needs to show us how it's done. Jesus goes first so that as his icon, we made in his icon, we can follow in his likeness. Now, We have to ask, what is it that distracts us from looking at Jesus first in all things? Do we look at Jesus first when we're trying to be a spouse or a parent or a friend or a leader in our business? Do we look to Jesus first for justice, for hope? for healing, for happiness, for contentment, for achievement? Do we look to Jesus first before we look to any other person, no matter how great or noble of a leader they might be? We need to look at Jesus first in everything. Again, Jesus doesn't just want to be prominent in your life. He wants to be preeminent. That is why he said, I am the first and the last. He is the beginning and the end. Well, let's look now at verse 19 as we come near the end. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. That word fullness is the word pleroma, and the Gnostics were well aware of this, wor- this word as they were beginning to sow their teaching into the church of Colossae. But the word pleroma has with it this complete embodiment of God's attributes and divine powers, that God dwelt permanently in Christ. In the next chapter, Paul adds that in him all the fullness, the pleroma of deity, dwells in bodily form. That's where we get this idea of Jesus being 100% God, that he is omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, but that he was also 100% human. He was man Fully God and fully man. And you might ask, well, how does that add up? 100% God, 100% man. That just doesn't add up. Well, God is beyond our mathematical thinking. So God was happy. He was pleased to send his son to the earth in the incarnation to be the image bearer of himself. To show us who God is. So the fullness of God dwells in Jesus. That can't be said enough. Verse 19 and 20 says, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. So it's all about Jesus. He made everything. He inherited everything. He holds it all together by the word of his power. He is first place in everything. Jesus is everything. And so since it's all based on Jesus, then we should understand that if we're going to be reconciled in our relationship to God, then it's going to happen through Jesus. It says here in Colossians 1.20 that he made peace through the blood of his cross. When God wanted us to know who he was, he came to this earth in the form of a man. And when God wanted to save us from the penalty of our sin and our rebellion against him, he paid the price of that penalty of our sin by dying on a cross in our place. The story of God climaxes at the cross. Every one of us has rebelled against God, and we need a Savior, and God has made himself that through Jesus. God knows no other way to express his love toward you than what he did by sending his son Jesus to die on a cross and to be raised from the dead. There's no other way that God could show you how much he loves you. So Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Isaiah 59.2 says, Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. So if we die in our sins, we will be separated from God. For Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. But if we allow Jesus, this beautiful Jesus, to bring peace between us and God through his blood on the cross, then we will have everlasting life. Our image, which has been marred by sin, will be restored. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. God demonstrated his love to you. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He's made peace through the blood of his cross. Will you receive Jesus and enter into that peace today if you haven't yet? Let me remind you that Satan is doing everything he can, even in this moment, to blind you from seeing the light of the Gospel, of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Because Jesus is the image of God, he's doing everything he can to veil that truth from you. but. When Jesus shines his radiant light upon you, which he can do through a scripture like this, you can know him. You can have a relationship with him today if you simply repent of your sins and turn and trust Jesus with your life. Don't just have him take a prominent position. Allow him to have the preeminent position in your life. He is God, He is Lord, He is Savior, and He loves you, and He wants you to know Him. God bless you.